Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. On May 5th, 2023, Kevin Courtney was diagnosed with stage four metastatic melanoma. While the prognosis for this condition is improving, this kind of cancer has historically had low remission rates, as this stage of melanoma indicates that the cancer has spread beyond its original site and to other parts of the body. In Kevin's case, it had spread to his lungs. And my conversation with Kevin chronicles his remarkable path of recovery that includes not only reducing the size of the tumor in his lung from 3.5 centimeters to 0.4, but also a deep emotional and spiritual healing. This journey prompted Kevin to reframe cancer from a fight reflected in the slogan, fuck cancer, to an acceptance of a wound that needs healing, that he dubs, thank you cancer, I love you cancer. Now Kevin is a mindfulness meditation and conscious leadership expert. He is the founder of Insight, a one-on-one mentorship company that guides practitioners and leaders through personal transformation by dismantling barriers to optimization. Uh, This was a remarkable conversation that I hope you find inspiring. Before we dive in, I'm so grateful to those of you who write reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference in terms of how the podcast shows up. So I'm so grateful that I created an offer here, 30 days of free commune membership. That's all access for a whole month. You can just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review and then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review, preferably a positive one, to receive your free all access for 30 days. And while you're there, make sure that you're subscribed. Okay, without further delay, I present to you, Kevin Courtney. Kevin Courtney. Official. It's official. We're here. Yeah. Welcome to the Commune Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we have a very long intertwined history at this juncture, um, mostly through my better three quarters mm-hmm. and a bit through yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just overjoyed that we were able to connect the dots here. So yeah, that's man. good. I'm very happy to be here for sure. Yeah, so we're uh, our our relationship got stoked recently on a trip to Mexico where we had the opportunity to reconnect. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as just sort of a loose means of organization for our conversation today, I picked uh, just randomly, Mm. uh, four dates, Mm -hmm. uh, um, off the calendar to kind of scaffold a little bit of your biography. Um, and where you might be going. So oh, cool. um, the four dates that I picked, and then we'll kind of hover over each one, was May 5th, 2023. I'm sure mm. you're familiar with these dates. Mm-hmm. February 25th, 1981. Yep. January 19th, 2024. That happens to be today. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Just to refresh your memory. <laughs> I'm glad that's in there. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, what happened that day? <laughs> um, yeah, just a timestamp uh, for people who are listening, that is today that mm. is contemporaneous with this conversation. And the last date I picked was tomorrow. Um, 
in the sense of tomorrow, 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 um, yeah. the date that never comes really, but the yeah. date that we might envision emerging out of the Sunyata. So perhaps we'll start with May 5th, 2023, just as this is such yeah. a pivotal inflection day for you. So this was a day where you received a diagnosis of metastatic melanoma, if I'm correct. You are correct. Um, that's about nine months ago, nine months ago and change. <clears throat> yeah. Um, about nine months ago. So maybe we just start, can you just describe that day for us a bit and, and your initial reaction to mm, that? Yeah. Well, uh, the Laker game was on. Okay. <laughs> Most important detail. So I remember that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that day was the culmination of a few years of searching for what was actually going on. So my health had been in decline for really severely the last year. So over the course of the last year, and it had started to decline. Yeah, probably about three years prior to that. And, you know, I was with every functional medicine doctor I could get my hands on. I was tracking things like having had Lyme, having had parasites, having had uh, this kind of ongoing chronic fatigue and um, in any case, things kind of took a turn in, I'll throw another date on the calendar, please. December of 2022, I started coughing up blood and it was first, it was like one little bit in the shower and then about three weeks later, a little bit more. And then by March, it was every day. And, and so anyway, we, we ended up, you know, finally, even, you know, I took an x-ray at one point, nothing showed up on the x-ray. So they were like, well, there's nothing happening here. And then a couple of months later, we took a CAT scan and that was uh, April. That was around April. And they were like, oh, okay, there's a, there's, we found a lump in the lung and it was a three and a half centimeter in diameter uh, tumor that was, um, you know, just what they, they coined a lobular mass in the lung. And so, um, my fiance Natalie, um, her dad happens to be a, a pulmonologist. So hmm. I was like, you chose well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we had a guy in house, yeah. you know, and he's, you know, Gil's in his seventies, and he's been a doctor for the last forty years of his life, and he's just mm -hmm. he's 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 the man at St. John's, and so anyway, we flew out from New York uh, to come be with him, and and. Um, we took a PET scan and was like, let's get, let's get conclusive about the results. And I was sitting in a doctor's office with one of the top guys uh, in the field uh, from, from many people's perspectives. And we celebrated the fact that it wasn't cancer. So that was at the end of April. And it was like, well, it's not cancer. And that's mm. the good news. Mm. And so. Was this the result of a, of a, Biopsy of a or pet scan. Of a pet scan. A pet scan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So basically, at first look, um, there was this big celebration of okay, like this is a massive relief, and and then you know the deeper world within myself, there was like a very deep degree of discomfort because I thought, well, fuck, if it's not, if that's not what this like, what's then what's going on if that's not the answer, you know, and. Uh, and ultimately, Gil um, just 
lost sleep over it and was like, something ain't right. And I want to go in and get a look. And so let's do a bronchoscopy and go in and biopsy. And so he uh, got with one of his, his colleagues and kind of stood alongside his colleague as he did the, as he did the uh, procedure. And, you know, I got a call from Gil like the day before he's like, I'm not doing it myself because if anything happens while you're under, yeah. You know, I don't want to live with that one for the rest of my life. And so anyway, so there I had these two incredible um, pulmonologists in my lungs for about an hour and they came out and had biopsied it. And, you know, Gil's response was your lungs are as healthy, their textbook, you know, healthy lungs. There's just this uh, piece. And, you know, we took a pretty aggressive biopsy and what have you. And so anyway, um, about five days later, Gil called me while I was watching the Laker games and he said, it's not good. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's melanoma. And so that they, and basically they took a much deeper look at the PET scan and found a network of multiple tumors and mm -hmm. basically said, you know, melanoma, a, a melanoma doesn't, uh, have the same kind of metabolic f function as a, so it didn't get, it didn't get picked up because, there were no hot spots on the PET scan, you know, yeah. and it basically was, you know, they came to find that it's, it's, uh, this particular type of, uh, it was a you know, stage four diagnosis of this particular, like unique type mm -hmm. of cancer. And so, so that was the sort of th everything leading up to that moment. And I think, so the, the, the thing that I think I've had a hard time explaining to people is the paradox of that call on May 5th being like a grand relief in one sense of like, this is what this is and that tracks. Mm. So it was mm. the first time that the diagnosis tracked with what I felt was going on. Right. And that I can't tell you like what a relief, Yeah, you know, that was from. To know. To know and to have finally a sense of like coherence with reality. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, this is what this feels like. This feels like stage four cancer. Cause I really felt like I was dying, mm. you know. Yeah. And had you ever had, um, I mean, melanoma is, um, generally associated yeah. with skin cancer, right? So yeah. the biggest risk factor, which is overexposure to UVB rays. That's why people go to the dermatologist, right? And if, yeah. you know, funky asymmetrical mole shows up, you know, sometimes you get a biopsy, et cetera, yeah. that in some circumstances can get into the lymph and then become metastatic as far as I kind of understand. Yeah. You know, there's a number of different kind of mutations that can exist within these melanocytes. There's a layer of the epidermis that causes those cells to mutate and dysfunction and et cetera. Yeah. Um, had you, had you ever been, I guess I should ask you, was the origin of the, your melanoma um, kind of more of a typical skin cancer or was it something yeah. else? Yeah. 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 It was originally a melanoma that was found on my back in 1998, mm. which was an absolute miracle that we found it because we found, I went into the doctor for a completely unrelated thing. And while I was there, he said, Oh, let me take a look at this mole. It looks a little funky. And the depth of it, it was right above my spine and the depth of it was pretty severe. And the doctor was like, we, like we locked out cause you know, a year from now, this would be an entirely different situation. So they took that out, said, 
you know, so long as it doesn't come back within five years, da, da, da. Three years later, another one came up on my leg. Okay. And that was that moment. And then, uh, so now we're throwing more dates in the mix, but yeah. I think around, it was around 20, uh, 2010 mm-hmm. that we found uh, a third one on my back. Yeah. So the theory is that that third one, cause all the sites were taken out. They were all, they were all cutaneous. So they were right. all on, on the surface and they were all taken out locally and none of them came into the lymph. None yeah. of the cancer had spread to the lymph ever. And so, so by all accounts, I was fine. The theory is what they think might, I mean, again, they don't know, but they're saying they think that last one in 2010 actually jumped internal and it just has been slowly developing yeah. since then. Yeah. And did you have any genetic predisposition? I know there's like BRAF mutations and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have um, definitely a family history of, yeah. of cancer, um, not skin cancer specifically. So, um, but I, well, actually my cousin, I have a cousin who, yeah. So I've got family members that have had all sorts of very, vari- variations of cancer. So it's in the, mm-hmm. in the genes for sure. Yeah. Okay. So you get the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what was your response kind of in the short term to that news? And what, what were the recommended kind of treatments out of the box? How did you react to those treatments? Um, mm. Just give me a, like a, us a little window into Kevin in June. Well, shock was the first one. You know, I think like sitting is, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm just just sitting with like the fact that we even get to have this conversation right now is very, (laughs) it's, it's a, it's its own process, you know? And so I really appreciate, yeah, I just appreciate being able to even look at it like this. Um, Yeah. And I'm, I apologize if my question seems clinical in a way. No, not at all. No, I feel like every door, you know, opens up to the, to like infinite possibilities. So, but yet it is, um, I was really, it was like a bell getting rung, you know, I was really in shock and I had two of my dear friends next to me. Natalie happened to be traveling. So she was, I think in Montenegro at the time. And, and, um, yeah, it was like, you know, friends hands on my back, just like dealing with me in shock and me like getting a sense of, you know, to hear Gil's voice, to hear, hear the gravity of his voice and basically, you know, to have a couple of dear friends that are doctors that are like, this is not good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was my initial strike. It was like a deep, deep fear. And, um, and then I kind of internalized that, woke up the next day and was like, all right, well, let's, let me start to get educated on what's happening. And um, so the next, I'd say the next, few days was like extreme overreactive hypervigilance to figure out everything I could possibly figure out as far yes. as what this is and how can it be treated and how can I treat it naturally and how do they want to treat it medically. And so, yeah, it was a lot of research and conversations and overdoing it to the point of complete exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, from what I've read, it appears as if the prognosis on stage four melanoma has improved significantly over the last like 10 years. Yeah. And it is still a relatively severe 
prognosis generally. Yeah, and I think just the weight, yeah, the just the like the accumulation of the weight of what we even imagine when we hear stage four cancer, yeah. you know, is well, yeah. And of course that's one of the aspects I want to mind because just this yeah, word, I know just the word. And yeah. I, I think as you know, we progress in our conversation. I think this is one of the incredible yep. services that you're providing mm. for the world at large is just uh, letting the, the air out of that high pressure balloon of that word, yeah. you know, yeah. um, which is so, scary mm. um and it's scary because it is so mysterious you mm. know no two melanomas actually have the same mm. genetic profile yeah you know so um so they are it is so bio-individual mm. um so you know i i know you've yep. written about this and you know i'm i'm certainly more of a part-time buddhist in comparison to your history and interests and, and passion but that you spent a good amount of your life meditating. Um, I think there's a meditation practice in Buddhism called Marana Sati, but mm -hmm. uh, like meditating on one's own mortality yeah. and, and on one's own inevitable passing. Mm -hmm. um, how did, did that work come into play um, at that moment? Yeah, for you? I mean, that's kind of the beauty of this it was like, I would say there was a bit of traction on the, on a very deep level. There was a bit of traction that enabled me to turn towards in a way that was part of the accumulation of spending so much time in relationship to the contemplation, mm. you know, and then like where the rubber meets the road when contemplation becomes, you've got someone saying, yeah. this goes one more place and into my brain and, uh, and we're done, you know, and there, there, and there, I would say the peak of that, uh, stress test of my progress <laughs> along that path towards dealing with death um, was, you know, me in and in at the hospital getting ready to do a brain scan and not knowing whether or not this has gone into my brain. Cause if it had gone into my brain, I, two things happen. One, I'm not eligible for the trial mm -hmm. that I was getting poised to step into. And, and two, it just would mean a much more severe situation. So, so, you know, there's no doubt that all of the work to, I would say, um, orient my felt sense of my awareness into a field that is beyond the temporal or the <clears throat> physical, you know, having spent so much time <clears throat> absorbed into that realm of consciousness and being able to differentiate between what the what the field of consciousness feels like compared to what the world of me, Kevin Courtney, as a personality or as an ego or as a body or as an energy, you know, all of those, all of those um, aspects that I did have a mastery of delineating between what, what, what is what. So mm. that, and thank God for that. And that did give me a sense of stability yeah. And ability to be more functional. You know, I didn't go into, it was like, okay, this is what it is. And there's only one thing to do and that's to step towards it. And so I think part of the stability, I, I would say comes from those practices for sure. And then also, I think that's part of the grace of this gift of this experience was 
having the stress test and being able to break open into, because what was, what was curious to me was the kind of fear I felt Mm. in those, in that, in those first couple of weeks was like, it didn't feel commensurate to the moment. It, It felt like, I mean, death is an intimidating thing, but the visceral nature of what this fear felt like felt peculiar to me. It felt, hmm. it felt stagnant. It felt old. It felt powerful. It fe- it didn't feel like yeah, it was a heavy fear, not a piercing fear. Yeah, it it was. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So it was really. So that was something that my meditative mind was like. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's track that. And I think that's, you know, so when I look back to what was happening in that moment and, and this was, there are so many massive things that happened in that first couple of weeks. But one of the things personally for me was I had never really asked for help from my community and I had spent 20 some odd years being in service to a community and right. I put out a call to help and uh, I put out a call for help and I was on the phone with the head of Sloan Kettering's metastatic melanoma hmm. division. I was on, you know, I had access immediately to the top people in the field. And so what ended up happening was I f- you know, found my way to this, this clinic here in in LA who had this particular kind of immunotherapy treatment. So that was, that basically I qualified for specifically because of the degree of, to your point about like melanoma and its treatability, my particular kind of cancer and the particular advances in treatment, I was in the highest percentage of possibility for for survival, you know, Mm. uh, based on what they're able to do now with immunotherapy specific to metastatic melanoma. I want to explore the process by which you actually agreed to embark in the therapy, but I I also just want to take Mm. a moment for people listening who um, might be interested just generally about cancer treatment because we've generally, you know, codified cancer treatment as essentially surgical radiation and chemotherapy. That's kind of been the three-headed monster um, of cancer treatment. These new kind of emerging immunotherapies, though, over the last, I suppose, maybe 10 years, but certainly like now it's crazy. It's like almost a, a new one every day gets yeah. approved. Yeah. Um, are really just holding a tremendous amount of promise. And, and, and I think they're just a, a, a light in the, in, in the darkness for, can be for so many people. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure which, maybe you can describe a little bit of your specific immunotherapy as we get into that, yeah. that process. But the, the ones like, the, when I first became aware of it was with President Carter, wow. who had yeah. brain cancer. And he did, uh, I think he took Keytruda, which I believe is a checkpoint inhibitor. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, our, our T cells, which are these kind of immune cells that often balance the can or, or, or uh, neuter cancer cells, um, they have these little checkpoints on them generally, these yeah. T cells, so they don't go overboard. Yeah. And so, you know, when they're about to attack a, you know, pathogen, there's these little checkpoints that say, are you sure that this, this guy, this invader, this bacteria or virus or whatever it is, is you sure we want to attack it? And that checkpoint kind of holds it back. Yeah. And cancer is so good at masking itself. Yeah. And essentially convincing the body. I mean, it is one of your own cells. That's the difference, right? Yeah. Um, it's not a pathogen per se. It is one of your own cells. So, and it's covered in proteins and other things that mask it yeah. such that the checkpoint goes, oh no, that dude's cool. We're going to leave that cell alone. These checkpoint inhibitors essentially release the valve there and allow T cells to essentially do their work. Mm. Um, it's very complicated. Then you have to get into immunosuppressors and all these other kinds of yeah. things, but it is just like, there are some trials that have shown just unbelievable results. And then, um, the other one I was re reading about in advance of this conversation mm -hmm. were these, um, CAR T treatment. I, I, I don't know if that's, uh, applicable to melanoma where, um, they essentially take a sample of T cells out of your own body. They biopsy your tissue mm -hmm. and then they actually in a lab, um, you know, genetically modify an antibody that is specifically targeted towards your particular cancer. And then yeah. they reinfuse the yeah. T cells and you have to continue to get those infusions, but it's a, it's a relatively costly process because it's so personalized because everybody's mm. cancers are different. But mm. anyways, as I was reading about it kind of over the last week, yeah. I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is just yeah. incredibly yeah. exciting and, and optimistic. So, well, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that takes me back too to that, that uh, what I hope, I mean, as now someone who's gone through this or is going through this, but I know my experience of that word cancer and, and especially uh, later stage cancer, you know, my, uh, now I have a completely revamped sense having been through it of like, oh, okay, what we knew, what we, what we associated with cancer in the past is not what it's going to be in the future at all. And I feel like I'm, I'm on the sort of front edge of that kind of treatment that is so specific. And you, you, you already, you have a better uh, understanding of the ones and zeros of it than, than I do in terms of, you know, specifically what the drugs are in there doing. I mean, I know the checkpoint inhibitor function. I know that one of the other ones is meant to break down the boundary that is. So there's there's one that sort of unleashes the power and then there's one that chips away at the layer that's mm -hmm. in, in the way of uh, the treatment coming into the cell. So I know that's part of the functionality of it. But ultimately what this particular trial is is the first time that they're stacking three immunotherapies into one cocktail and the reason they've never done that before is because you get to two and the body starts to respond with some adverse side effects because of inflammation and because right. of what the body's trying to deal with yeah. around uh around what's yeah coming into it and so this this particular trial says okay we're going to do this new thing we're going to stack three and then we're going to also add this fourth element, which is uh, anti-inflammatory. Yeah. And so that's the kind of makeup of this particular trial. And and is this what you were offered? And just to clarify for people listening, immunotherapy just more generally 
is leveraging mm. someone's own immune system to fight the cancer. Yeah. Instead of using a chemotherapy drug or, or yeah. whatever, just as a more broader statement. So initially when you were diagnosed, were you offered this uh, uh, access or, or, or entrance to this trial right away or, or were they, were you, or was there also a more kind of traditional route of, you know, chemo and radiation and all mm. that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and then maybe uh, I know you, you, it took you a period of time um, of introspection before yeah. you actually wanted, did it. Did it. So yeah. maybe you just flush some, yeah, of, that flush some of that out. Yeah. 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 I mean, this was the in intensely deep privilege of having Gil Kuhn mm. uh, in the house, you know, because I had uh, somebody who, knows every doctor in LA, you know, and, and has been here for 40 some odd years. And so he, he knew the guy to call and I, you know, within a couple of days was on the phone with that guy and that guy happens to be my current doctor. And he was, he, he was actually the, the answer came so quickly and, 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 and that I was like, okay, it can't, it can't be, this can't be it. Let me check around. And, you know, <laughs> right, so actually yeah. like I had the, I had it presented mm -hmm. and it was, it was so fortunate that mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is too, it can't be this easy. So I ended up doing, you know, making a bunch of other calls and, and it was a unanimous, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 like the thing that clinched it for me was the, yeah, the head of Sloan Kettering saying, we don't have this trial yet. Mm. And we're all clamoring f to get it. If it were me, like this is the one I would do. Okay. Yeah. So I had clarity on that sense. But what I said to my dear doctor, uh, <laughs> who's a very strong-willed <laughs> individual, yeah. very smart, strong-willed, and uh, you know, an expert in his field, not necessarily an expert in. Uh, accounting for the power of one's emotional uh, makeup, having anything to do with the potential of forming cancer in the body, you know? So there, there was not yeah. a lot of validity to my, my side of the equation where I was like, well, you yeah. know, you wouldn't utter the words quantum health in right, his office. Or right, <laughs> right. But I would, well, to, I his, would. to his dismay, you know? And so like, <laughs> we got into this thing. Cause I, you know, I had done, I had done, uh, I, 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 like, I mean, what I had said in Mexico, you know, like I had, I, I had literally healed my knee through quantum healing mm -hmm. three years prior by meditating on a healthy body and collapsing the time between the injury and health by way of all of these techniques that we have the advantage of having now, you know, cue Joe Dispenza, uh, Joe Dispenza and all right. of his work, you know? And so like having that, uh, outfitted in my consciousness. Um, and also given the nature of what I do now, what I do 10 hours a day is sit across from somebody and listen and then dismantle the architecture of their physical and their energetic, their, their mental, emotional, their intellectual, spiritual realms and pull all that apart to get a good look at it so that we can unearth whatever's 
getting in the way of that thing being optimized, you know, mm -hmm. those systems being optimized. And so my lens looking at this was like, okay, well, for me, that key was coming across this definition of cancer as cells that divide before they mature. And when I was, so there was at the very beginning, when I kind of pushed back to my doctor and I said, listen, I want to take a while to, I, I, I feel resistant to these drugs. I feel resentment about the system <laughs> you live in. Yeah. Uh, there is another way, you know, there are other ways, there are natural ways. I want to get all that straight. And he was like, absolutely not. You, you, <laughs> you, need, you need to start tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. And he's like, you're, you're fucking around. Like, this is crazy. Like you, you will die, you know? And yeah, it was, um, for me, it was one of those moments and that was very, like, very clear where something within me was so certain that what I should do is stop everything and pull back and really take inventory of what was really going on for me. And the fear and the anger and the resentment, uh, I didn't want to start injecting myself with these drugs with all that in me. And mm -hmm. so I said, give me six weeks to get my head straight. And he was like, I strongly disagree with this, but hey, it's your choice. And so that's really like to your first, to, the, to your question, you know, that's really that six weeks was the time in which I took every skill I'd ever learned in 25 years and turned it back in on myself in a way I never had and, hmm. and changed. I mean, that's the beginning of changing yeah, my life. And I wonder yeah. if he now sees the wisdom, I bet not, but still I'll pose the question in going into the therapy fully grounded in you're parasympathetic, essentially. Yeah. Like sitting peacefully in the fear, um, sitting, you know, using your parasympathetic to foster the most balanced immune system possible yeah. such that the administration of drugs will be the most effective. I mean, again, yeah. it's hard to build these bridges into from... Um, alternative medicine into conventional medicine. But, but anyways, yeah, clearly. So yeah, I know that during that, that six week period of, of introspection, uh, and in interoception probably too, um, there was obviously a, a deep kind of meditative practice going on, but I, I know you also got some very, very intense structural yeah. work I, I, that you've described. Can you just describe yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, I'll get back to this <laughs> point of like, he does understand and also has a really hard time giving validity. You know, it's very, it's a very interesting paradox. Cause it's like, ah, it's like, yeah. you know, so I get, okay. I, I get many reasons why that's happening, but ultimately, yeah, I, I left his office. And but when I had, when I was, when I was in the throes of the confusion around how to, how to move forward, 
we had a, we had a meeting it, at the clinic and I left that meeting and that was kind of my final moment. I remember I was sitting in a car with Natalie and my dear friend, Aaron, and uh, I broke down in tears and I was like, something just doesn't feel right. Like I, I don't want to start this. And so I decided to say no. And right as all of that happened, I was, I got a message from a friend who said, I have, I have somebody that I want you to see. And, um, this person ha there, they, they are a body worker, but to say they're a body worker is like, you know, they, they, they've, they've studied all sorts of modalities. They've been in through, through all the doorways of, you know, shamanic chiropractic, you know, all every kind of derivative of, um, structural work they've pursued and they spend their time now working with people that are in late stage cancer to basically from, and, uh, you know, I'm maybe you have them on at some point to explain their work, but in, in short form, she started to pull apart the fascial adhesions in my face before I even got onto the table. So I walked into the door and she had a couple of assistants and she looked at me and she was like, Oh, how's it going? And I was like, good. And she's like, well, first, all, all I want to know is how scared are you? And I was like, well, and as I'm answering, she grabs the skin of my face and she starts to pull. And I was like, ah, oh, like, fuck you. Like, ah. and she just spent like two minutes just pulling all of the fascia of my face apart. And in like two minutes, my face had already transformed and she sits back and she's like, look, look. And she's pointing to her assistants. Look at, look at the life in his eyes. Look at, so she, <laughs> that was the first, that was my first five minutes knowing her, you know? And then <laughs> I spent hours with her over the course of the next three months and, and, um, had many, uh, catharsis, <laughs> uh, many moments of getting, you know, put into pain points that, what I was seeing was the pain I had been holding all along that was finding its way out finally. Yeah. And what I put together as I was mapping all of my traumas and I was trying to track like, what is that? What's my hit? How could cancer, how could I, how could this body become in a hospitable, a hospitable environment for this disease? Hmm. And what the real premise of this particular work was, was your brain and your body have, have an intrinsic connection that is critical. And I happened to, to have a two accidents when I was younger. One was I hit my chin on a, a fault going over the handles of a bicycle and I hit my chin. And a year later I got in a car accident and I got whiplash. Mm -hmm. So when we started to look at my jaw, part of what we started to see was the tr blunt trauma to the front and then the whiplash from the back basically created uh, a, a, a real interruption of normality through the bone structure and through the tissue that ended up becoming completely frozen. And so unbeknownst to me, like this, you know, the vagus nerve and all the peripheral nerves as when she put her hands in my mouth, she was aghast and she mm. sat back and she was like, I've only seen one other person with a jaw this tight and that person had tumors all over their body. And that person is currently on vacation in Italy doing just fine. 
And so she was, her big premise was the, if your brain and vagus nerve and all of the current is interrupted and is, is not able, you're not able to get power into your body, the body is going to grow cold, dark, damp, and there's no better environment for mold or for cancer to grow. And so we need to get your brain body connection online. And she was a gas, she was like, I can't believe you're even alive given how you're not getting any signal you're getting, mm. you know, I mean, we weren't able to like quantify it as like 10% or whatever it was, but she was like, literally every place she went in my body, the nerves were completely offline and we just pulled and stretched and brought the system back online. Wow. And she was like, yeah. cancer's already yeah. cured. You know, and I was like, no, okay. And she's okay. like, if you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. And I was like, ah, I get right. it. But, you know, and so, so anyway, that was yeah. one element. I don't know if, if anyone listening has ever had that work. Uh, I, I certainly haven't had it nearly to the degree that you had mm. it, but I, I did have a session, you know, with the surgical gloves and like up yeah. into these cavities where no one belongs yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it is one of, well, first of all, it's just one of the most painful experiences yeah. that I had ever endured. Um, I think I've, I've mm. read about you roaring like a lion yeah, yeah. <laughs> during some of these yeah. sessions. Um, yeah, I mean, literally being held down, like at one point, like multiple people holding me down and me saying, go, like fucking, let's just get at it, you know? And so yeah. th there's clearly given, you know, by dint of the accidents mm. that you endured when you were a kid, there was some physiological mm. trauma but the, these places of physiological trauma mm. also tend to be the somatic areas where we're actually holding some form of emotional yeah. or psychological trauma. I wonder if you connected those things. Well, yeah, that, I mean, it's a, it, it really what was going on was the, the thing that I was tracking was the fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really getting back to that felt sense of whatever this fear is that I'm feeling doesn't fear, doesn't feel like it's about this moment. And essentially, as I started to get the tissue broken up and as I did an inventory of my history of trauma, you know, that line kept coming through of a cell that divides before it has the opportunity to mature. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of what that had me start thinking is what aspect of me has not yet been invited to mature, to maturity, what part of my psyche, what part, but what part of, what part of my inner child has yet to mature. And so as I was both structurally being taken apart, I was going back to this history and ultimately landed again by the good grace of a lot of support, you know, had some moments of real clear um, guidance that pointed me back to the specific moment. All the signs were saying, go back to the moment when you were eight years old 
and you found out your father was dead, had died. And it's in that moment that is this critical juncture. And again, it's much more than we can get into on this, on this podcast or in this conversation, but it's, it, I again, put all of my attention into this domain of my self and listened and sensed and felt and what started to come through as the body was coming back online. And as I was freeing up the tissue was insight into what had really gone on and what I felt for the first time. I'm 51, right? So this is 43 years ago. This is February 25th, 1981. And I have, I'm eight years old. I have four older sisters. I've got my mom. I'm the youngest. And I'm sitting there and I just find out that I'm never going to see my father again. And what happened was this almost like this root of this memory system just opened. And for the first time in my life, I felt the fear that I felt in that moment. Mm. And it was absolute terror. And I would have told you for my entire life that that moment losing my dad was, was foundational to who I was becoming or who I, who I became. And I also would have said that it taught me resilience and that it enabled me to be who I am today. I would, all these things that I would have sure. like been able to portray the value of what ha what really happened was the part of me that feels the most went completely offline yeah and froze in time and when you start to look at the quantum aspects of this and we look at what we now are starting to understand about interstitial tissue and and um light and energy and when we think about the psyche and the sort of holographic nature of the mind. And we, from my perspective on a tantric perspective, from a yogic perspective, I would say, okay, well, okay, sure. People talk about chakras as wheels of energy, but what they are when you drill down is this convergence of elemental forces mixed with memories, mixed with the body's vital energy and mm -hmm. those things along this, 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 this vertical axis of, of nerve plexes, you know, from the tailbone to the sacrum, to the solar plexus, to the heart, to the throat, to the midbrain, this network that happens to also map very closely to the endocrine system, nerves, nerve centers, combined with all of that content. That's what I was encountering for the first time was this perforation in my psyche that left a part of me in on February 25th, 1981 in that spot, yeah. <laughs> part of my psyche, part of my heart, a part of my being was, was frozen there. And then my body like proceeded to go through linear time mm -hmm. and my sense, my meditative sense and my more practitioner sense, you know, I don't know if my doctor would really be keen on exploring this, but 
when I look at the physical dimension of a body moving forward through space with a fractal part of that consciousness stuck in 1981, that can only stretch so far before that connection breaks, you know? Mm. And so it was all that investigation that sort of showed me, not even showed me, but it let me feel, you know, the origins of this. And in feeling the origins of it, well, I was supported by a community that was giving me a significant amount of support. Uh, you know, I had the, the, the love of my family. I, you know, I had so many elements. I had Natalie doing all sorts of things that she didn't have to do prior to me being in this illness. And all of it provided me an environment where I could slow down long enough to actually come into relationship with that mm. fear, which that's like the immunotherapy could heal the cancer. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And, um, we'll get specifically in, mm. into that, but I sort of be remiss if I think we didn't spend a little bit more mm. time here because I think this is at the core of um, mm. of what we're discovering about the nature of the body, um, and I mean certainly adverse childhood experiences, but you know how trauma-inducing events can. Um, well, if you think of a wound, right, and how it heals, mm. um, you know sometimes, well, it, it never heals because it continues to get exacerbated. Sometimes it scars, right? And a, a scarring um, can be, you know, effective um, at, you know, cauterizing a, a wound or something. Mm. But of course, a scarring leaves a certain kind of numbness, you know, um, like people with neuropathy in their feet when they're numb, you know, they can't walk. Mm -hmm. There is a blockage of energy and of honestly of creative intelligence that can flow between that area of your physiology and the other areas um, with which it must communicate in order to make this organism function you know so mm. yes we can look at um you know atoms and molecules of you know involved in metabolism and see how they intersect with the, the immune system and the endocrine system and all these other things. But what is the creative intelligence there that connects all those things that facilitate 37 billion billion chemical reactions per second in the human body? Yeah. <laughs> there is a there is a creative intelligence, you know, that medical science cannot yet put their thumb on. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. I think as we, you know, as, um, you know, the, this experience that you went through that, you know, could break up sort of that emotional scar tissue yeah, to sort of re-enable the body to talk to itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, oftentimes we hear these definitions of cancer. There's so many different ones, but, you know, as being a, a, a representation of disconnection, mm -hmm. right? So cells don't properly communicate with other cells. Yes, they do for certainly reproduce before they're mature. 
there's kind of dysregulation of glycolysis and glucose metabolism. There's, you know, metastasis proliferation. There's these other characteristics, but it's often um, the signature of cancer is often this disconnection um, and the isolation of one cell to another. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so it's a, this experience, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's just sort of um, it's having a, just an effect on me now. Mm. Um, mm. As we all sort of contemplate our own, uh, you know, frozen areas. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that word connection is is so so well placed because when I look at everything I've pursued over the last twenty five years of my life, it's been about pursuing a sense, a felt sense of connection. Right. Know? And and. Now, in hindsight, now that I know what I know in my body, I, there's a catalog of memories of moments that reveal themselves to me that show me that this was essentially the voice of the space between mm. those connection points, you know, mm. and, and, you know, that, okay. that to have that, you know, this is that idea of when healing happens you know, healing, healing sort of forward and back in time simultaneously. It's like, I definitely, um, the connection sound now it's true. I can, I can sense it. And when I look at the existential nature of my pain for as long as I can remember, it's like, Oh, this part of, to have this part of my heart shut down, so to, to, to lose the frequency of the communication of whatever the information was at this critical juncture. Mm. You know, isn't it amazing that the tumor was a perfect circle right here, mm. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, okay, that is something. And, and so it's to have that now connected is revealing, it's answering questions I stopped asking a long time ago, you know, <laughs> or questions I thought I already had the answer to, you know, it's, there's so much uh, of an exchange of intelligence happening now that that wasn't before. And it's, it's just a completely, it, to, to have had the experience of the pain of that miscommunication or non-communication, and then to have it connected for the first time hmm. I feel like I'm done yeah. you know like in terms of the thing I have been seeking you know the deep thing that I would never have been able to articulate like yeah there was an arrival point that feels complete yeah you know? well I suppose this is the thank you cancer I love you cancer yeah epiphany there yeah. um so I, I I know that that sort of became a mantra of some mm. sort mm. for you. Um, and I think you, you've just described kind of why, I mean, you know, uh, it's not just a, uh, uh, kind of a hashtag platitude, mm -hmm. um, that this was sort of something that you could find a degree of gratitude in despite everything yeah. that it's, confronted you with. What was, 
wild about this experience was I was a dear brother friend of mine was dying of cancer uh, last summer and he, 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 he died in, in the middle of the summer. So mm. I was also in this relationship to losing a friend that, that was, so I was watching the sort of ravaging nature of this disease mm-hmm. and the, you know, that, that premise of fuck cancer like in that rallying cry of like, fuck cancer, right? that fight, you know, yeah. like that was the thing that was and harnessing the anger, and harnessing the anger and, and, and harnessing the fight for life. Like I really could see that, but there was an element of aggression to that sense when, when I started to really meditate with these are cells in my body. And this is about communication and communion and connection. And so if I'm, if I'm saying fuck cancer, I'm saying fuck this part of myself. Like, I don't want to communicate that idea to this body. And I don't want to put that kind of workload on my immune system or on whatever the matrix is that connects the emotional body, the physiological body in its full great detail. And then to the way, however, I mean, the words you just used to describe the cosmic element of it, like all of those aspects, I could either employ them in this aggressive way or what came to me was I could also start a different conversation with this disease and one of the other sort of insights early on was cancer is either a call home. It's either time, you know, and this might be a little bit more of a spiritual perception of this, but think about a body and, and, and a soul embodied and that body getting sick it's going to go one of two ways. You're either going to get sick and you're going to die or you're going to survive and live on. And so there was a very clear sort of mm, distinction of cancer as either being a call home or being a call to greater health and, and an invitation to take a look, take a deeper look at what's going on. So that driving force of the threat of death personally for me unearthing a deep systemic terror of the loss that comes with death you know it was such a perfect thing so i could look at that level of understanding and say like wow i would have never had access to that had i not been pushed this threshold so on a very high level i could say like thank thank you for this experience like it's brought me so much and then uh, my level of understanding, my level of um, feeling like I can love in a much deeper way, and I can I can communicate in a much more I, I you know I know this word is tired but authentic mm-hmm. way. Um, none of that yeah. would have happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, in an era that's characterized by divisiveness and mm. you know a political invective that is just 
as odious as one can imagine and loneliness and, you know, all of the other forces of disconnection to put yourself forward the way that you've done and see so much outpouring of community mm. and connection and love. Mm. I mean, this yeah. just must, you know, brim your heart with, yeah. with joy. Yeah. I mean, it is part, it's, it's a really good point. It's like, you know, I, I, as you would imagine, I'm getting a lot of folks reaching out that are going sure. through it. And uh, without a doubt, the most, the most, um, repetitive thing I hear, the most common thing I hear is how isolating it is, how isolated people feel. Mm. And so there is also, there, there are, there are elements in my life that I can look at and be grateful that I'm accustomed to speaking publicly about sensitive things as a teacher and by nature of what I do. So I did have those sort of training wheels, but ultimately the, the notion that I could collapse inward and isolate and be alone at this was inconceivable to me. And it was, it was, it was the opposite. It was like, no, I absolutely want to share this and, and put this out into the world. And, you know, so people will, they'll remark and say, oh, that's so courageous or that's so brave. And it's like, it, it doesn't feel any of those things to me. It feels like an imperative and it, and, mm -hmm the level of healing that's come by way of receiving, you know, I, I received messages early on from people that said, you don't know me, but I did your class on Gaia. You know, I've never met these, uh, there's so many people I hadn't yeah. met that basically told me stories about how their interactions with me changed their lives. And it was like, well, the people don't, this is like what happens at a funeral or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. People yeah. aren't usually alive to get this feedback right. in this way. It was, an, it was, and so that was incredibly healing. And to that little boy, you know, that little boy whose heart was broken. And you say scar tissue. And when, uh, when you talk about scar tissue in that way, and, I, and I'm try, really trying to open and be in this story in as open as a way as I can in this conversation, it's like, the scar tissue for me was who I was in the world. Hmm. You know, like, so you're saying scar tissue and I'm like, oh, that was my, ver that was the version of myself that I presented to the world over the course of a lifetime. Yeah. And now that got opened and dismantled and pulled apart. And it's like, oh, wow, who, who, who I was and who I was as a teacher and who I believed myself to be actually all stemmed from that moment of closure mm. of that little boy's heart in that moment of time. And so now that all that is open, it's, it's just a completely yeah. different game. Well, well, this is what children are so really incredible at doing is using mm. what they have, you know, to make the best out of the possible the best situation possible given the circumstances. Yeah. So we often take these, um, you know, our personal traumas and leverage them into our greatest strengths, yep. you know, yep. and, and then 
we sort of sit atop of the shoulders of that trauma and be like, look, well, yeah. I, I broke that cycle and now I'm using that trauma to be in service yeah. of all of these other people such that, you know, they don't have to do that, all that stuff. But oftentimes that actually neglects yeah. actually mending the trauma within yourself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is of course like the great, uh, epiphany, you know, for those of us who are fortunate enough to have it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they often do arise, uh, you know, in, in confronting some great obstacle. Yeah. Um, this is, I suppose the, the, the great Joseph Campbell <laughs> hero's journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that is the, um, really, I look at everything I've created to, to, you know, when I, when I left my corporate life and went to pursue this thing that felt more meaningful to me and that work evolved over 20 years, I look at everything I've created and I can say, oh my God, this is, and I, I mean, I, it's what you just said. And it's what I would say to everybody. It's like the, the, the ways in which we, um, the ways in which our inner world project out around us, you know, and, and I look at what I created and, and I say, oh, wow, I, I've created an instrument that was like, unbeknownst to me, the instrument I was going to use on myself <laughs> to right. have yeah. Uh, uh, my biggest quantum leap in self-understanding and, and integration mm -hmm. of my body, mind, and mm. heart and spirit. Um, and so it's like, oh, isn't that beautiful that the, the shadow created this experience that had the rest of my intelligence go in and do due diligence to figure out how to crack this code. And then it was a, perceivable sort of death sentence, you know, or the, the misperception or the, the perception of this thing being like, Oh fuck this really, I could die. Mm -hmm. Like this could be it. So the stakes change and all of that heat, um, and then taking that heat and taking those tools and going like, wow, okay, I get to like do, you know, you know, the, I, in my world, I, the, the work I do is called insight. And so I said, Oh, I get to do insight to myself, you know, and that was what I did. And I was like, well, fuck man, I just stress tested that. And this thing holds, this is a good, this is a good architecture, you know, and I just would have never known that it was really, yeah, <laughs> I was creating as, something as, for my as sturdy as it, yeah. it is. And, and so, you obviously entered into the into the trial, into the immunotherapy yeah. trial. Was that sometime maybe in July? That was in July. Yeah. yeah. So we're six months out. So yeah, maybe just a window into yeah. what that's like. I mean, I assume you go in and you get multiple infusions, or, or can yeah, you, what what does that process yeah. look like? Yeah, it's 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 three infusions and one injection and. And the first six months are all four drugs. And now I'm starting the second phase, which is now just the three and not the anti-inflammatory. And so it's uncomfortable. 
you know, I mean, there's parts of me that are uncomfortable now in this moment, just like as my body is going through what it's going through. And it's like, um, you know, it takes a toll and, uh, but relatively, I mean, considering the kind of side effects I had to sign, I mean, I essentially had to sign off on like death, you know, to say like, Mm -hmm. this could kill you if, you know, for in many ways. And so I had to essentially sign consent, you know, to a document that had, I don't know, at least a thousand side effects. And, um, some of them are happening to me and they're not mm-hmm. comfortable. And, uh, you know, I get, I've like very severe allergies now that I never had before. So I'm in a constant state of response to like an allergic response. Um, sleep is interrupted. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not comfortable, but what was interesting about that discomfort is the nurses give clues, you know, uh, uh, along the way. And, and I've been paying attention to the nurses and a lot and, you know, movement was such a key element and it was like everything. So I kind of, as soon as I started the trial, I kind of took to this belief, not this belief. I took to this, um, way that was everything I'm going to do is going to be in service to these drugs. So all the food I eat, like whatever you tell me these drugs want, I will do. And one of the things the drugs really like is movement. Mm. And so I've been in a every day heating up my body through movement to help metabolize the drugs in a very specific way. And I think that's helped a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, and, and you maintain the energy level to, to have sufficient movement to like get heart rate up and sweat? Unless I don't. Yeah. You know? and <laughs> right. I, yeah. And so when I don't, I sleep. And I rest and there are some days where it's just, there's nothing I can do but rest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just do that when I want to. So I'm not trying to be a hero and I'm not trying to push it, but I'm like really trying to listen. Mm-hmm. It's like, does my body want to, will movement induce healing or do I need to rest? You know, I'm asking that question every day. Some days are rest, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and what about, um, kind of food diet protocol? Uh, curious what you're doing there just because there, yeah. there's so much theorizing. There. Yeah. I mean, I did go pretty extreme in terms of, in terms of like su- supplements and nutraceuticals and, you know, like I di- I'm doing all like the sort of standard cancer fighting diets, uh, diet protocols and, you know, taking out sugar and, and those sort of high level, really basic things. And, um, but I also um, am, eating more, more meat than I ever have before. And I'm sort of creating the main thing I need to do from a dietary perspective is I need to be digesting six to eight grams of protein every three hours. So there's a very consistent drip of protein into my body and that's Mm. in service to the drugs functioning. Mm. And, um, and then the only other thing I would say is the big shift for me is like the quality of water that I'm drinking and the amount of water I'm drinking. I'm drinking a ton more water and mm. I really am like focused on the particular source of the plate. You know, I drink only out of glass a bottle, like anything I yeah. can do to eradicate any taxation on my system I'm doing, you know? So, um, but yeah, lots, lots of, lots of vegetables and, and greens and, you know, a shitload of blueberries. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, lemons and, you know, things like that.
There's a really interesting study for anyone who's interested in, in checking it out, um, published by Siddhartha Mukherjee, who he wrote perhaps the, the most incredible treatise on cancer called The Emperor of All Maladies. I read it last year. It's just like a 600-page tomb on, in kind of ode to cancer. Um, and he published a study uh, with another doctor of, of great repute, but I, I'm sorry that I can't remember his name right now, um, specifically focused on the kind of combination of therapies that are mm. now happening, or specifically with immunotherapy. Um, so one is actually using sort of fasting mimicking diets or keto diets, essentially any diet that doesn't stimulate um, the production of insulin is obviously like super, super low glucose, so mm -hmm. obviously low sugar, but also that doesn't stimulate by extension the secretion of insulin, which is essentially anabolic and, and IGF-1, which is the mm. uh, kind of anabolic sister um, that promotes growth of any cell. Mm. Uh, um, and so the combination of sort of intermittent or, or intermittent fasting or a fasting mimicking diet or ketogenic diet, uh, with a particular kind of immunotherapy mm. drug called, I think it's called PI3K inhibitor. So there's basically an enzyme in, in your body that works with your cells to essentially open up its re receptivity for glucose. Yeah. And as it is well known, essentially the way that, that, um, cancer cells proliferate is is really through the, a glucose substrate. So mm. through the through anaerobic glycolysis, and then um, and then they use that byproduct of lactate as sort of additional material to build new cells. And it, it's just like, anyways, this combination of essentially inhibiting the uptake of glucose mm. into the cell in combination. Um, with a fasting mimicking diet or a ketogenic diet that keeps insulin levels very, very low and mm -hmm. glucose levels very, very low, um, seems to be also having, um, you know, a fairly positive impact. Mm -hmm. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, it was a fascinating study. I just scanned it, I think last night. Um, so there's just, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's uh, a lot of reason to be very, very optimistic. Okay. So, in July, you entered um, into the trial, mm -hmm. and I assume you go in and get scans every yeah. every three months. Every three months, yeah. So the treatments are every two weeks, scans uh, every three months, and uh, yeah, the the my results are uh, phenomenal. I mean, mm -hmm. the the first set of scans. Um, the main tumor in the lung went from three and a half centimeters to one wow. in three months. Incredible. And uh, in the last three months, it's gone from one to 0.4. And so it's, it's on the, I'm really on the fast path to. That's amazing. So yeah. from three and a half, so the, the biggest tumor, if I have, yeah. if I'm right, went yeah. from three and a half centimeters to 0.4. To 0.4 in six months. Wow. And um, three of the other sites are completely gone. And wow. there's one other site that is, they're now questioning whether or not it's actually cancer based on how it's behaving. And so I think probably I have a biopsy in my future of that site. Mm -hmm. um, 
but next set of scans is at the end of March. And, yeah. um, and I suspect I'll either, either be cancer free by March or, or close to it. Yeah. You know, it's wow. kind of what I <laughs> am going for. <laughs> what a year. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's today. I mean, I know you got mm. your, um, scans maybe a week and a half ago or two yeah. weeks ago or something. Yeah. 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 A um, couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so that brings us kind of to the present moment mm. and, um, and this, this optimistic outlook I know is sort of fueling your enthusiasm mm. to bring more work mm. onto the world. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll bridge the chasm until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. We know tomorrow never yeah. comes, yeah. but, um, but let's play with it. So I, I yeah. know that, um, you know, we, in Mexico, when we were talking, uh, we talked quite a bit about the work that you've done with Insight. So mm -hmm. maybe unpack a little bit of what that is and how you're thinking about it yeah. um, and how you're bringing that to the world. Well, ultimately, like I, the, my perception of what Insight as a program is, is like a sense-making tool that is made up of the frameworks of Vedanta and Tantra and Taoism and, and a little bit of Buddhism is in there and shamanism for sure. So taking these ways and ultimately I spent uh, probably like, well, I spent, I spent the last 10 years evolving the work and where it's landed now. It was about three years ago that I was approached by a, multiple people that said, well, I want to facilitate this. They had been through the program and, and, um, they were basically saying like, I, this is what I want to do, you know? And so at that point was the first moment that I conceived of doing any sort of replicating of my, myself and, and, and enabling somebody else to like, you know, do the work through their lens and create their own thing of it. And, and so I spent three years basically writing this manual and two and a half years writing this manual. So I've codified it and collected it and created a level of clarity around what the work actually is that has now for me feels like the foundation of what's to come. And so kind of reduced it down to in effect, what I do is I sit across from somebody and I have a conversation with them. Uh, that's, that's in, in uh, it, one aspect of it, the critical aspect of it is that the person is showing up to be a practitioner. They're saying like, okay, I will buy into taking a look at a deeper look at myself. Mm -hmm. So they, they have that instinct, they have that desire from the get go. And then, um, what I do is sit and I won't get into the whole, um, sort of architecture of it, but it's in a sense looking at seven different layers of the body and seven different centers of intelligence and seven different stages of development. And when you, when you, start to track those three pillars that's for me i'm sort of tracking the correlation between those you know there's 243 correlations from that model and when i'm listening to somebody i'm sort of tracking all of that and giving feedback and so mm -hmm. it might be as simple as somebody saying hey i'm you know uh why am i so successful in the world and why does my entire industry respect me and hold me as like the leader in my field. And m my kids think I'm an asshole, you know, 
like what's going on here? Yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> yeah. Therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we just start unpacking like, okay, what's the nature of someone's, you know, ultimately what's the nature of someone's relationship to themselves and how does, how yeah. does, yeah. What's their perception and, and, and how does what is happening within them alter their perception of the world around them? So insight really looks at drilling into those metrics and saying, let's, let's unpack and open this. And, and once you see it and feel it, I mean, to this point of like, I saw this place, I felt this place and I saw this contraction, you know, I felt the fear. I, 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 I allowed for the feeling to fully manifest. And therefore I came to understand all the elements around that feeling. And that's essentially the nature of what I do for primarily for, you know, for people in leadership positions, but, you know, looking forward, I think it's going to be more widespread. Yeah. Just by, um, for, to provide some background, yeah. this has been a program that you developed that you have been facilitating, um, with seemingly high functional <laughs> yeah. individuals yeah, and, yeah. and people in leadership positions. Um, and now you're democratizing the teachings yeah. some, such yeah. that other people can do some of that facilitation. Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, yeah, I ended up kind of inadvertently landing in leadership. And that was just because the first three people I started working with all happened to be CEOs. And that was in 2013. Yeah. So it ended up like, I ended up backing into this idea of leadership development. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I ironically, I got my degree in psychology with a focus on industrial psychology or organizational psychology. So it ended up coming full right. circle. And, and, um, but ultimately, you know, my time is at a premium now and that's only okay for me to such a degree, you know? And so it was like, so, okay, yes, there is a collection of folks that can, essentially, uh, you know, afford to, to get into this relationship. And my heart as a teacher and my conscience, you know, will, uh, doesn't allow me to just have that be the barrier to entry, you know? And so mm -hmm. basically I had created kind of a community. So I've got like a group of people that pay me whatever they can pay me for the work. And then I've got this other group that pays, you know, a, a rate that's commensurate with their world and that can only go so far yeah and so that was starting to bother not but yeah it was bothering me it was it needed to be solved as it stands right now there are three of us uh there's the one from last year and then there's one that's in this program that's a really advanced uh and they've been in the work and so they're going to sort of they're they're already starting to function as a facilitator and so what we have now is this little group of three mm -hmm. <laughs> and what my vision is is you know just to really create a boutique like this is not about scale for me it's about it's about sitting with anyone willing to do the kind of work that is can be extremely uncomfortable to really get into the you know for me an insight facilitator is only as clear as they are within themselves you know and so my main premise is we have to be master shadow trackers to the extent that we can see within ourselves. And so that's really like the developmental side of the facilitation part for me is, 
how well can you see yourself and how willing are you to have a conversation about the things that you see that you don't, uh, that aren't savory. And so long as someone can really hold that, you know, I'm not looking for like somebody to, it's, it's not about like being never fluctuating or never hurting or never falling into a chasm of your own despair or whatever, you know, it's like, it's about being human. Mm. <laughs> and so I think like, when I looked at the world of yoga and the way in which, you know, one of my sort of the thorn in my side with respect to yoga for many years was the, was the fact that I felt like what was being promoted was that yoga was a pathway towards a, a state of sort of calm serenity. Mm -hmm. And while it can be that I feel like more what it is, is a technology to get, our body and our mind and our heart so close to the reality of the true nature of the present moment that what is actually real and true within that moment is seen and felt and mm. understood. And that can look like anger. It can look like grief. It can look like whatever, whatever the range of the human sort of spectrum is. And so, yeah, really in terms of looking forward and saying like, Oh, we're, we're, we're growing as an organization. I don't know, man. It's like, I feel like I'm really doing a test to say, well, if an organization could be committed to, I mean, you know, I think about like Nexium, mm -hmm. you know, if you've seen that, that vow documentary, you know, I look at that way in which that sort of, at least in my perception as somewhat sociopathic leader can take really good information and distort it and twist it and have it just go fucking sideways, you know? So for me, I feel like my commitment to my future and the evolution of this fledgling organization is, is to create an organization of people that are willing to be honest about the truth of what's happening within them in any given moment. And then that, that becomes a driving force to enable other people to do the same. And my sort of core thesis is the more someone can be in that level of clarity and communication, the more effective they can be. And also I haven't seen it where when someone touches a depth within themselves enough that there becomes a driving force to do something in the world that is of them that they can't deny. And mm -hmm. so there's, I would say insight is kind of a Trojan horse for mm -hmm. people actually coming to discover what it is they're actually meant to be doing from a really soulful level. So you yeah. Know, from the leadership perspective, that's walking a fine line of like dismantling a leader's identity only so much as it doesn't send them into existential <laughs> crisis and actually Fair can, enough. you yeah. know, and yeah. then, and so, yeah. So yeah. that's a little bit of a snapshot of it in any case. Uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine that the past year of your life hasn't had some impact on the development of your thinking, Yeah, uh, you know, as it pertains specifically to insight of, yeah you know, of really fear, confronting fear, you yeah. know, and being honest about fear, Yeah, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of judgment, fear of fill in the blank. Yeah. It's really just when you begin to kind of disassemble uh, all of our emotional and even physiological pathologies, you almost always find fear down there at the core of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think the real nugget that I'm taking forward from this 
experience that I think I'm already watching weave into the sessions because I feel like now I'm getting done in an hour what it used to take me three months to do. Mm. You know, something is so clear and direct and and what I would attribute that to is actually the dismantling of the control mechanisms that are those subversive protective mechanisms to keep us from feeling that fear. You know, the things that the prophylactic that sort of makes it tolerable mm -hmm. to be oneself amidst our mm -hmm. fear in such a dynamic society. I mean, if look, look around and it's like, there's every reason to curl up in a ball and just like, just, just go, just not, just turn away. You yeah, know, not like, engage, not yeah. be truly honest and authentic yeah. with yeah. the world around you. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like what I'm seeing within myself right now is that I have, I dismantled a, a protective and a control mechanism within myself that I was holding so onto so tightly. So yes, fear, but also the very subversive, quiet, uh, insidious aspects of one's intelligence that cunningly creates an environment of safety within oneself that's actually s somehow separate from actually being mm -hmm. connected to yeah. whoever yeah, yeah. is on the other side of you, you know, yeah. or the world around you in any way. So it's like, it is extreme. It is niche. I definitely, what I'm doing is niche and not, you know, it's not, not everybody's going to want it because. Yeah. I'm all about niche. You know, it's yeah. funny. Um, I have three daughters yeah. and, you know, I drive my little, my little one to school and uh, she's um, thinking about high schools now. So she's applying to high schools <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you think? My, her name is Micah. Do you want to be a big fish in a small pond? Mm or a small fish in a big pond. And she looks at me and she goes, small fish, small pond. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, like let's, let's, um, you know, um, yeah, let's, uh, you know, pop the balloon a little bit of, you know, yeah. and not have to live within such a hypercharged uh, world where, you know, we sanctify, you know, growth and bigness yeah. at, at all costs. So, yeah. Um, you know, last, well, a few years ago, the British philosopher, um, a guy named Jules Evans, introduced me to Stoicism. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've kind of been a yeah, yeah. follower of the great Stoics, but yeah. there is a Stoic practice called Memento Mori, mm. which is, uh, I think, kind of literally remembering your own death, but it is a practice of um, contemplating one's own mortality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the surface, it, it can seem like a sort of morose activity. Um, but really, you know, the, a lot of the Stoic practices are kind of categorized as negative visualizations. Like you imagine like doing something for the last time. Like what was, what if that mm. was that last sip of water you've ever taken? Mm. You know, wouldn't you just absolutely savor that water as mm. <laughs> if it were just, you know, pure platinum, um, you know, going down your esophagus. Um, and, uh, and really, you know, a, what a lot of these actual contemplations do is that as you come back, 
to the wonderful, amazing reality that here you still are, that you will actually have another sip of water, mm. that you will, it will wake up yeah. tomorrow. There is an unbelievable spritz yeah. of gratitude that yeah. can really perfume your life. And so, you know, mm. I'm wondering if, if mm. that is kind of a part of your kind of daily yeah. reality. Do you wake up with like, oh my God, I'm here and yeah. I'm just gonna absolutely effloresce into this day. Yeah, yeah, yes and yes and it's like the you know the surreality of hearing that you could die and and then to like be in the reality of doing the math mm. you know and it's so vivid it's like such a vivid time and so what i feel like i'm bearing witness to right now because i i i think when when we talked in mexico you know i that was my first time out of what i kind of was referring to as this proverbial cave that i went in to do this healing work so i mm. i limited my engagements work-wise i stopped publicly putting out writing i i i, I just closed myself in uh, for for a matter of months and mexico was the first time i came out and kind of came back out into the world. And I was like, Oh, whoa, that's different. You know, that's a different directional quality to my mm -hmm. attention and my beingness. And, and so, um, you know, I, I land a, in this moment where now I'm, I'm back to, uh, a bigger client load. I'm, I'm in the apprenticeship. I'm, we, you know, uh, one of the bigger exciting things for us is we're doing a b2b version of insight and so i've got my coo and i going into this organization for a year to sort of bring insight into the organization and infuse the operations from this subtle altered perspective and i don't know how that's going to play out but it's fucking exciting and it's kind of like one of the dreams realized and it's like but that's a lot of creative energy it's a lot of attention it's, it's not me in a healing process, you know, of like turning all my attention into this mm -hmm. energetic healing process. And so back to your point of your question, it's like, I can feel the formation of my new self creating a sort of, again, this like slight, um, what's the word it, it reduces the fidelity of that sense mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. like awe and just absolute joy that i'm alive you know it's like oh wow i i went through this whole day and lost the plot on that you know on that clear perception of the joy of life and yeah. taking every moment for what it is and so it's like i can see and that makes perfect sense to me, right? That that would start to diffuse and alter and shift as I would normalize into my new formation. And so it's like, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's a GPS point in my system that is new, that yeah. is, that ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Know? Well, I, I think anyone who has had like a bad flu, right. Mean, <laughs> right, right, right. Can, you know, speak to the experience of waking up and feeling better. And then feeling just like so grateful to be normal. Yeah. But then 
you know, you habituate to that normal, yeah. right? And yeah. kind of forget a little bit about what that flu is like. Obviously, you know, your situation is a multiple orders of magnitude well, on top of that. But yeah, yeah, and I think the thing, I mean, the thing that's interesting, I don't know, you know, how much value this holds for anybody uh, that is outside of <laughs> this lived experience of me in this body, but this, you know, the, I can feel in my relationships and in, I mean, I can feel in this exchange that we're having, you know, it's like, there's always this opportunity to soften and tenderize and open, you know? And, and so I feel like when I think about the healing that's happened or this new normal and the new normal is there's more of me available to have this conversation with you than there was last year. Mm-hmm. And that's the repetition for me is like just this continued folding open. So it's like, I think that for me is the place where I will hold my attention and watch for that Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, and that's also gets me back to that gratitude point of like, thank you, cancer. I love you, cancer. It's like, oh my God, you, you return me back to a place within myself. And it's a place that I, will not leave behind Mm. and that's that's my new mo yeah you know yeah it's interesting i I think i shared with you maybe in mexico that as a 13 year old i I spent two Mm. weeks in sloan um Mm -hmm. obviously my cancer was not metastatic it was it was very localized and very topical so it was just primarily addressed with surgery and um, and liquid nitrogen uh, <laughs> up and down kind of my knee and around the patella on my left side. But it really honestly wasn't about me. I mean, you know, you're familiar with Sloan and, and Anderson and Cedars and all the yeah. great cancer hospitals. Um, you know, I was also in pediatrics at that point because I was 13, so I was just willing to take a bed anywhere mm. they would offer me one. Mm. Um, and they had one in pediatrics and of course I had a roommate there with, you know, terminal leukemia. So I was, I was there admitted while my roommate you know, passed away. So there's, uh, the, uh, let's just say the, the entryway is, is wider than the exit at Sloan. Um, and, uh, so, you know, these experiences, that, that we go through, um, for me at that point in my life, you know, I, I sort of went in as a boy and came out as a man, you know, yeah. it's like that time of my life. And, you know, these are the, th- these experiences like at their best, you know, we accrue, um, these superpowers in the best case scenario where it's like, we do, we, we truly do tap into, you know, the, what it, what it truly means to be spiritual, mm. the, the identification of someone else's suffering truly as your own, mm. um, the feeling of joy, uh, f- just for someone else's joy, yeah. you know, and these are the great knock on impacts of, of, you know, our struggles. Yeah. And, um, and certainly it's just been a joy for me, to witness you 
just like the character that that you've been able to mm. you know hold around this process and uh and the way that you've been able to to share it in a way that's kind of both open but like super super humble um and uh and you know self-deprecating and, and mm. with some degree of humor at times mm. and mm. i just uh i know that it's just uh impacting so many people I, and i know that you feel that mm. but um but let me just kind of underscore that mm. um yeah. and uh yeah i'm just uh also thrilled um that we've been able to to reconnect here yeah um you know after after many years of I know how many times you climbed those uh, cockeyed lime green stairs yeah. and Tribeca <laughs> up to well, Kula. I so. mean, yeah, and it, it it really is. I mean, the the reunion that we just had in Mexico, you know, it has been a twenty some odd year relationship that's been you know somewhat peripheral in, in some sense. You know, I hadn't, haven't had the opportunity to spend as much time together as I might have liked, but I. I Again, I even getting back to that sort of how healing telescopes backwards in time mm. or forward in time. It's like, you know, I just feel like I, I feel so grateful um, to be here. <laughs> mm. I feel so grateful to be here and to be available, you know, to have to have myself open and available and free of. Yeah, those little idiosyncratic control mechanisms that judge or critique or protect or what have you. And it's just like, yeah. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I really, I was excited to come here just to be able to have this conversation in a, in a somewhat guided way, you know, to have your perspective guide and direct. Because um, the, the, the overall experience right now is still, it, it is certainly all encompassing, you know, and I definitely do hope to take all this and create and write a book uh, under that title as a, as a foundation to say like, mm -hmm. what, you know, is there a new way to approach cancer as there are new ways to treat cancer? Right. And, and yeah. so, yeah. So thanks for mm. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it because like th th these conversations, um, uh, you know, are, cannot be planned really. Mm. You know, there there's a, an element of of faith and trust yeah. <laughs> in yeah. them. Um, so, where can people just keep abreast of your work and you know the updates mm. that you so generally uh, generously provide? Well, um, you know, currently my my main public facing point is Instagram still, which is, which is funny, but we, we are, a, we're getting poised to launch uh, a website. It's, it's live, but it's, it's being also tinkered with, but it's, so Natalie, you know, my fiance, Natalie has her Instagram handle was, this is Natalie. Right. And uh, it all, it has been forever. And so we got a dog named Smooch and Natalie was like, we, well, we got to have Smooch on Instagram. So, Natalie's. Uh, so the idea was, okay, Smooch's handle is this is Smooch. So I have, this yeah. is Natalie and I have this is Smooch. And so I was like, well, what 
what better name for a website than this is insight. So this is insight is going to be the front facing it's That's the shingle on the door, you know, that will, that will be the main access point. And I think what we're, what we're currently starting to outfit is, you know, practices, meditations, contemplations, a library that sits there that's relative to the insight work. And, um, so there'll be touch points for people that can come touch those practices, see if they mean something to them. And then, you know, as this fledgling team starts to expand, you know, we'll get to have more bandwidth to be able to, you know, receive all the folks coming through the work. And then, you know, um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the best way, uh, to, to get in touch. Right. Well, this is a lot of fun (laughs) and, um, and to be continued. I hope, uh, I hope we can make this a a regular practice. Oh man, I'll be so happy to. It's, it's, it's a treat. Really? Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Kevin Courtney. You can keep abreast of Kevin's journey by following his exhortations at Kevin J. Courtney on Instagram. So if you enjoyed this show and would like to receive 30 days of free all access to commune membership, well, write us a review on Apple podcasts, scroll down to the review section and tap, write a review and email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review, a good one, hopefully to gain access to more than 130 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders all free for 30 days. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime at Jeff K at onecommune.com. Lastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week over week, including Jacob Laub, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Cooper Mall, Savan Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.